Well, good morning. As you have uh, probably started to notice this morning, you've got the Kingsville Baptist Church B team leading today. Um, Pastor Bart asked me if I would uh, preach this morning because he is with his family and in uh, Florida, I believe, is where they were. I guess I should ask a little bit more specifically. I think they were there. And he's traveling back today. He'll be back tonight for children's camp. Uh, I know he is, uh, he's preaching out there tonight, starting our, our week at children's camp. And so, always a blessing to get to, uh, to hear Pastor Bart teach, but especially as he teaches the children. I've been personally blessed by his ministry in a very personal way the last, the last few months. Um, as Bart mentioned last week, about my sweet eight-year-old Laura Beth, as she uh, learned the four reasons we do missions, or learned four reasons we do missions, and it really blessed and encouraged uh, my heart in a very, very deep way, um, but it's, it seems to always kind of work that way uh, in children's camp. As I hear, stu- as I hear children from third to sixth grade uh, respond to the gospel, and I hear them begin to work with spiritual truth, and this, this year it's... Uh, it's the Good Shepherd, and so Wendy and Casey and the children's ministry team has been putting together lessons that will enforce and uh, prepare their students' hearts for, for diving into God's Word and hearing what it's, hearing how Jesus is the Good Shepherd and then Bart will preach those nights. So we ask you to be, be praying for, uh, for your church and praying for your team as we are serving in that way. Um, also, Kevin Roberts was out, and Sean... Uh, if you notice, he wasn't here this morning. Uh, his wife and family are here, um, but he had a uh, an episode with a kidney stone yesterday. He wasn't sure for lots of hours what that excruciating pain was because he's never had one. Um, but now he's had one, and he probably wishes he wasn't in the club. But he's he's in that club, and he's uh, he is is resting from that. Um, as you guys that are aware of how difficult that is, he's he's resting in that. So Landon, thanks for for helping out and, and serving us that way. This morning I want to read from 1 Corinthians 3. Um, that'll be where, we will, uh, where we'll study from. But just to get a little bit of kind of background leading up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, <clears throat> Paul says that there's two kinds of people in the world. Okay, there's the natural man and the spiritual man. Okay, it's narrowed down to two kinds of people, the natural man, the spiritual man. Another way that may make sense for us to say there's, there are people that are lost, people that are saved. Okay, there are non-believers, and then there are believers. So Paul is specifically saying the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man lives by natural means and reacts in natural or carnal or worldly ways to things. But the spiritual man has the Spirit of God in him. Okay, the spiritual person has the spirit of spirit of God in them and they react different and they can understand God's truth and they understand specifically what's mentioned is the uh, the a message of folly the message of the cross which is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who have life it's the power of God okay and so that is what Paul uh, narrows everything down to the natural man and spiritual man well in chapter 3, he kind of broadens that a little bit and says, okay, for the spiritual man, this is for the believer, that there's two kinds of, of spiritual people. Not, not specifically, but he says there's different kinds of spiritual people. There, there would be the mature, there would be the immature. And so he begins to, to separate that out some. Let me read the first few verses 
and then we'll begin to go through the outline. If you have, there's not going to be an outline on the screen, but I ask that you have your Bibles open and you have your outline before you so you can read through. Uh, the first section, I'll probably spend a little bit more time talking and it probably will be a little, a little more awkward. Um, as you're listening and following me, but then we'll kind of move into where we're just going to read through the text and let the text fill in the blanks and, and teach itself there. So follow with me. Chapter three, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready and even though even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So I have the sweet blessing of living with four of the sweetest, most beautiful girls in the world. And right now my youngest is 15 months. And some of you that are blessed to be on Facebook have seen a video getting passed around and kind of shared around from Vacation Bible School where my 15-month-old is singing the Yes to VBS song. I've had probably 40 or 50 of you come to me and just mention, that is so cute, that is so sweet. And let me, let me tell you, it is really cute, it is really sweet. Um, it, it's just kind of a time in which she is, she's still obviously a baby. She's still wearing diapers. Um, she still gets food everywhere. Um, there's, there's, all of this stuff still happens, but she's getting to that time where you're starting to see some of her personality come out, which is a blessing in some ways and difficult in some ways. And so we're getting to see all of this, um, in her and there's a lot of joy and happiness, but then now we're starting to see her kind of throw fits. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's just a lay on the floor fit. Last night, Lizzie's telling me that she was upset. She was told no about something. And Mary Grace is laying on the floor and kind of kind of patting her on the floor. And then she's screaming, you know, and then she stops and looks back to see if mama's watching. Like, is, is mama paying attention to this? If she's throwing her fit and looking back. And even though that we don't I don't know that we think that's good. It's understandable, right? She's an infant. She's a baby. She's beginning to learn these things. She's beginning to grow in these ways. I mentioned she's still in diapers. You know, that means that we've got to make changes. And she has those, those, those things that happen in the diapers. And so we have to, to deal with that. And again, is that something that, we, that, that I enjoy? No. But it's understandable, right? It's kind of acceptable. Her diet is not exactly like our diet yet. It's, kind of, it's becoming that way pretty quickly. Um, but for months and months, it was nothing but milk. And then we got brave and might have added some kind of like rice or something into the milk. And then we'd give it to her in a soupy way and kind of feed it to her and begin to slowly add more solid food. But it's, it's understandable because we understand that there's this process of, of people start off as, as babies and then they grow and they grow and they grow. So Paul is coming in here and says that I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, pay attention. He starts with the word brothers. So he's talking to people he considers Christians. He considers them brothers in Christ. And he considers them, he specifically says, infants in Christ at the end of verse 1. So he's not saying that they are the natural versus the spiritual. He's not saying that they're natural. He's saying they're spiritual people, but they're infants 
Okay, they're new, they're immature, they haven't quite grown up yet. They're still throwing their temper tantrums. They're still dealing with, with soft food. They're still dealing with, um, with, with accidents. They're still dealing with these kind of things. And so that's what he's talking about, which seems fine for a moment. But is this acceptable long term? Would we be okay with our 16-year-old daughter acting the same way? As I am okay with our 15, 16 month old daughter? Well, absolutely not. Those same kind of temper tantrums aren't acceptable. Those same kind of accidents um, aren't acceptable anymore. So in that same way, what Paul is saying is, okay, you're infants. You've been there. But this kind of behavior is not acceptable. It's time to grow. It's time to move on. And so then he says, "I, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready. And even now... You're still not ready. So here's this problem, okay? The problem is Christian immaturity, okay? Identifying the problem as immaturity. And you see your first blank here, Christian growth is slowed by immaturity. Christian growth is slowed by immaturity. So one of the things that we've talked about recently with students um, would be the word discipleship. We've talked about how we are to help one another, how are we, are, we are to love one another, how we are to be disciples of Christ, and how we are, begin, we are now to share our faith with others. We're to encourage others. We're to help others grow in the same way that others have helped us grow. And so with this idea, we, it, it, it's, discipleship won't happen if we remain immature. If we don't grow in our faith, discipleship won't happen. Christian growth is slowed by immaturity. So as Paul's writing about this, verse 3 says, You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So he's speaking of immaturity. He's saying that, that you guys are saying that you want more. You're saying you want the deeper things This is what you're asking for, but there's still jealousy and strife among you. Now, in a moment, I'm going to mention Paul and Apollos and following leaders there. And some of us may feel we're immune to that. Oh, that's not necessarily our issue. But I can say this, that I think this is an issue for all of us. Jealousy and strife among you. You see, this is immaturity. This is saying, I want it my way. Okay, I'm jealous when somebody else has it their way. I'm jealous that I don't have it somebody else's way and strife. And so there's disunity and this happens. This is immaturity. Immaturity is rooted in this selfishness. Immaturity is rooted in selfishness. Look at three and four with me. Start reading in four. For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So immaturity is rooted in selfishness. I want it my way. Okay, there's jealousy, there's strife. This is the way that I desire. This is the way that I want it. And then selfishness creates division. Christian growth is slowed by immaturity. Immaturity is rooted in selfishness. And selfishness creates division. Look specifically at the division here. One says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Now, it's funny we're talking about this today because, um, again, you're, you've got your junior varsity team 
up today and not your varsity team, but, but it's, and, and don't, let me just start by, by saying what I'm not saying and then we'll say what we're saying. What I'm not saying is leaders aren't important. You look in chapter four, you see Paul teaching about leadership. And in a couple of weeks, three or four weeks, I think I'll have the opportunity to preach again. Um, and I'll probably preach that text next. So we're not saying that leaders aren't important. Leaders are extremely important. They have an important job. But here's what I'm saying. We don't need to identify with our leaders over identifying with Christ. Over identifying with Christ, our Savior, identifying with the gospel. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, it's life. That's where we identify with. We identify with the cross. We identify with the gospel. We identify with the kingdom of God. And yes, that means sometimes we're encouraged by our leaders and we can be proud that the Lord has done a great work through leaders in our church. But again, it's not our leaders that we identify with. So selfishness creates division as we say, you know, I like my pastor because my pastor knows how to finish a message in 27 minutes and be done by 30. Well, I like my pastor because he's not afraid to preach it if it's there and to go as the Spirit leads and to continue on that way. Well, you know what? I like music that is very simple and very traditional in the same way that my grandparents liked music. Well, you know, I like music that's contemporary and kind of meets us where we're at. Well, you know what my pastor can do? Well, you know what my church can do? You know what my program is like? And we begin to identify with those things. We identify with those people and we identify with our preferences. And our selfishness comes out and says, this is the way that I want it. Instead of identifying with Christ, identifying with the cross, identifying with the message of the cross. Selfishness creates division. This doesn't mean that some have lost their faith. So we started to talk about, at the beginning I said that Paul said in chapter 2 that there are the natural people and then there are spiritual people. And then I said now he's talking about those that are more mature and those that are less mature. Those that are immature in their faith um, compared to those who are growing in their faith and, and are, are more spiritual. So let me just clarify a few things. Um, because we look at this and we say, well, does this mean that there are some that are saved and some that, are lo- that have lost their faith? First John two nineteen says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So the Scripture says if somebody leaves the faith, if somebody leaves out from among us, what it shows us is that they never were with us. It just becomes plain that they are not of us. What this also doesn't mean for an immature believer, it doesn't mean that that you can accept Christ as your Savior, but then later at some point when you're more ready, He becomes Lord of your life. There's no separation between Christ as our Savior and Christ as our King. Christ as our Savior and Christ as our Lord. It also doesn't mean that Jesus becomes Lord and Savior of someone's life and there's no transformation, that there's no change. Okay, I heard this illustration one time that I'm going to try to share uh, with you. September 2nd, 1945. Raise your hand if you know what that day represents. September 2nd, 1945. It was the formal, official 
um, close of World War II. It's the day the Japanese delegation formally signed the instrument of surrender on board the USS Missouri, making the official ending of World War II. Now, a month before, there were bombs dropped that were the decisive blows. And then there was a day in the middle of August in which there was a surrender by the Japanese, but it wasn't the official final surrender. But on September 2nd, it was the final official surrender. Well, years later, stories began coming back that there was fighting that continued on islands for months and months and months and even up to over a year past the official surrender. Now, again, August, the sights of blow, and it really is over. It formally was signed um, September 2nd, but up to over a year later, there were fights that still continued on the outskirts. And there were men on islands that thought, there's no way this really is over. Or maybe they hadn't gotten news of it yet. Or maybe there was just personal things involved in the fights and it continued on for over a year. This is what I want you to understand that Paul is talking about here. That in Christ, the blow is, is, has come. In Christ, the war is over. But the truth is that we all begin as immature Christians. And what happens is there are there are fights that continue in our lives where we're fighting sin. And sometimes parts of us maybe just don't believe, I don't know if I can win this battle. I don't know if I can overcome this sin. And sin does remain, again, not in a way that sin is Lord over our life, but it does continue. We're not perfected um, completely. We're made perfect. We're justified in Christ. But it's not... A final perfection. Let me read from Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So here's what the scripture says. At one time, Christ offered a single sacrifice for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And verse 14, Hebrews 10:14. I want you to see how the battle is won, but the battle continues. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you're reading from the NIV, I believe it says he has perfected one time for those who are being made perfect. This is talking about how we are justified in Christ. We are made right in Christ. We are declared not guilty by Christ's work at one moment at the cross. When, when Christ makes us right with Him, when we are saved, we are at one moment made right, perfect, eternally forever. But... Because we are not yet glorified, we are not yet in God's presence, sin still remains um, in our body. Sin still remains around us. We're still affected by a fallen world and a fallen place, and so we're still fallen people. And so sin still works around us, and there's these skirmishes in which we do fall to sin. We do fall to temptation. This happens. But, again, is it okay to leave us in that place? Is it okay for us at 15 years to be at the same place we were at at 15 months? Is it okay for jealousy and strife to remain 
among us? Is it okay for us to create division based on our selfishness? Is it okay for us to create factions to say, this is how I want it. This is how I would have it. Is it okay for us to put our selfishness above unity? Please don't find satisfaction in understanding that you can be saved and still fall into sin and fall into temptation. Sin breaks God's heart. Selfishness and division breaks God's heart. I'm going to read two articles for you, sections from articles. All right. Uh, you guys know two weeks ago, the Southern Baptist Convention met together and elected the new president um, of the Southern Baptist Convention. Presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention are typically pastors from our conventions. They don't leave their churches and go and work full time for the SBC that way, but instead they're in leadership and they're involved, still pastoring their churches, but being involved in helping to bring unity to the Southern Baptist Convention and helping to, to focus direction. There were two two guys, that, well actually there were three guys that were running. The pastor of First Baptist New Orleans was running and in the first vote he received about 10% of the votes, but the second vote, or excuse me, but in that same first vote, there was a guy by the name of J.D. Greer, and a guy by the name of Steve Gaines that were each received 45% of the vote. So they did a runoff between those two, and the pastor from First Baptist New Orleans was out of the runoff. Did another runoff, and the first vote, uh, J.D. Greer, the younger guy, received 50 more votes out of like 8,000 votes cast. He received 50 more votes than Steve Gaines, the um, guy who's a little bit older, who's pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church. Most of you know of Adrian Rogers, who's pastor there for a long time. And so about 50 more votes. Well, in the second vote, in the runoff just between the two of them, uh, Steve Gaines received 104 more votes which kept them both under the 50% mark because there were like 108 messed up votes that were cast that have to count as a zero vote to keep the percentage down under 50%. So for the first time ever, the Southern Baptist Convention was going to have to take a third vote to see who would be the next president. And so you've got a younger guy and you've got a guy who's a little bit older. Okay, he's not 70s to 80s, but he's, you got a guy in his mid to late 30s, maybe early 40s. You got another guy thinking he's probably in his early to mid um, 60s. And you've got both of these guys, and honestly, they represent almost two different portions of the Southern Baptist Convention. I wouldn't say divisions, but I would say portions. The younger guy represents typically more younger, um, and the older guy usually represented a little bit of more older and established. Um, churches in that way. And so they both represented that. They got to the point where the vote was going to happen. And I want to read this to you. This is what happened. <clears throat> Tennessee pastor Steve Gaines was elected by acclamation as Southern Baptist Convention president after fellow candidate J.D. Greer withdrew his candidacy June 15 in a display of unity. So the older guy received um, acclamation as the new president um, after J.D. Greer withdrew his candidacy, Greer's withdrawal followed a runoff vote that didn't produce a majority winner on Tuesday. His decision avoided a second runoff and left Gaines elected by acclamation as president of the SBC during their annual meeting in St. Louis. Greer told the convention he prayed the night before and he believed we need to leave St. Louis united. He made the motion for Gaines to be elected by acclamation, Gaines said he, too, had decided internally Tuesday night to withdraw, but agreed to serve as president after a conversation with Greer. 
There's no way God is not doing something in all of this. And then this final quote. I just wanted Jesus to be lifted high and the convention to be united, Gaines said. So both of these guys who were kind of representing two different um, segments of the Southern Baptist Convention, both of these guys, both in praying, decided, I must be willing to step out for unity. Well, I must be willing to step out for unity. These guys got together, prayed together. J.D. Greer, this is exactly what he said on his um, on his article. The task of those of you who voted for me is not to complain that things didn't go our way. It's to follow the example of our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. It's time for us to step up and get involved, to keep pushing forward and engaging the mission with those who have gone before us. It's time to look at what unites us. We exist as a convention of churches because we believe we can do more together than we do apart. What keeps us from splitting into a thousand different directions is one thing, our unity and the gospel of Jesus. We stand together because God saved us and we want to see him save others, whether it's in our neighborhoods or the other side of the world. Psalm 133, verse 1, says, How good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell together in unity. And now, we're going to continue by illustrating this issue that's come up. Illustrating the problem. Illustration 1, God's field. Paul gives us three illustrations. And the first one is God's field. Let's read together. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Illustration one. Is God's field. You see, God gives the assignments, so we serve. Look in verse 5. What is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So who assigned the job to Paul? Who assigned the job to Apollos? The Lord did, right? The Lord is the one who's assigned, so we are to serve. So if the Lord has assigned you to be pastor at Kingsville Baptist Church, do that without pride and serve. If the Lord has called you to lead your Sunday school class, do so. If the Lord has given you a family to lead, understand the Lord has given that assignment and you are to serve. God gives the assignments. God gives the jobs. And so we serve in that way. So do we boast in Paul or Apollos? Or we boast in God who's given the assignments we serve. Verse 6, God gives growth, so we plant and water. Look at verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I have been tremendously blessed to see through the years that the, the kind of leadership that we've had in the student ministry. Um, from volunteer leaders 
to a couple of young guys who love the Lord and loved his word and taught it faithfully. And I've been a, a part of this opportunity where some planted and some watered and God gave the growth. I've seen this personally and specifically here. And so as many times as I'm very proud of those men before me, I'm very proud of Pastor Bart. I'm very proud of the work that's going on here. Very proud of, of Uncle Melvin. I'm very proud of our Sunday school teachers. I'm very proud um, of some of our new leadership that we have. I'm very proud of this. But understand this. God gives the growth. So what do we do? We plant. We water. We work. We do what the Lord has called us. What the Lord has assigned to us, we do it. God is the one that gives the growth. So we plant and water. Look in verse 8. God gives the wages, so we work together. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. God is the one who gives the wages. And so we work, we plant, we water, and God is the one who gives the wages. So we are God's field. He is the one that gets the glory. He is the one that gets the, cre- the credit. We are not a superstar people. Okay, We don't look to our leaders and say, man, what a superstar. I'm so glad that that is our leader. Instead, we look to Christ and say, he's the superstar. He is the one that we lift up. He's the one that assigns. He's the one that gives growth. Growth. He's the one that gives the wages and gives us reward. Illustration two, God's building. Verse nine, we are God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. Verse 10, according to grace, we cooperate. Look at verse 10 with me. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. According to the grace of God given to me, what do I do? Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation from someone else. Jesus is the foundation. He is the one, and we are to build upon that foundation and to cooperate with the others that are building upon that. That's cooperating across the aisles. It's cooperating in our classrooms. It's cooperating in our homes to see that the Lord has made assignments. The Lord has made assignments in our church. He's made assignments in our convention. He's made assignments in our families. And we are to cooperate and to take care according to grace. Look at verse 11. We lay the foundation that God produced. Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. The foundation comes from God. God is the one that produced the foundation. And we are to cooperate. We are to work. We are to take care. And we are to lay the foundation that God produces. Not the foundation of our selfishness. Not the division. Not that's affected by our immaturity. But instead we grow and we lay the foundation that God produces. And now in verse 14. God gives the reward So work toward eternity. Let me start reading in 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, 
he will receive a reward. So you hear the foundation, you hear the work, you hear the kind of stuff that's laid on the foundation. Some is gold, silver, and precious stones. Those will survive through the fire. But then there's other kind of work that we could do that won't survive. Wood, hay, and straw. And it may be a lot of work. We might be having, we may have a lot of sweat equity. We may have a lot of intention. We may have a lot of focus. We may have spent a lot of time on wood, hay, and stubble. But unless we build eternally, unless we build with eternity in mind, there are th- we can build a great big old church here and run thousands here. But unless there is a focus on eternity and the gospel of Christ, it won't survive. God gives a reward. So work towards eternity, not work for eternity. You can't work for eternity. Christ has done that work for you. But the work you're involved in, make sure this is an eternal work. Make sure this is a work that is focused towards Christ and his kingdom. Then the last illustration here, God's temple. Look at verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God gives his spirit to dwell in the church. And the second part is just kind of a continuation of that. The holiness of God's people must be preserved. So we are God's temple. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And when Christ puts his presence in us, when the spirit of God is in us, it shows the kind of transforming work that Jesus does. It shows the power of the gospel to transform lives. And when we are not careful with holiness, when we are not careful and growing in our faith and continue to fall back into the same kind of sin that we fell into when we were first believed. If we continue in bitterness and continue in immaturity and in selfishness and we continue um, in those ways, then what we're pu- putting forth is a false picture of Christ, a false picture of the gospel. God gives his spirit to dwell in the church and we need to be careful with that. Holiness of God's people must be preserved. So responding to the problem, this is how we'll conclude this morning. Don't be attached to nothing, but instead to Christ, who is everything. Specifically, look in verse 7 again. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. This is what he's saying. Paul is nothing. This is Paul writing it. He plants. Paul is nothing. And he says, Apollos, a fellow worker for the gospel, he's nothing. Okay? Don't be attached to nothing, but instead to Christ, who is everything. Verse 11, he is the foundation. The foundation which is laid is Jesus Christ. So don't spend your time working for nothing. Don't spend your time focused for nothing. Don't create divisions over nothing, but instead fight for what is something. Fight for purity of truth. Fight for the gospel. Fight lovingly and kindly for a way that we are preserving the things that matter and fight for building on the foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, and build something that lasts. Build towards 
eternity. Don't be attached to nothing, but instead to Christ, who's everything. Next, God owns the church. God owns us. Look in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. That's us. This The church, the three illustrations, the field, the building, the temple. That's us. It's not this building. It's not this whole congregation. It's us individually. It is us collectively and corporately. It is us denomination, convention. It, this, is, this is us. This is God's people. God owns the church. God owns us. Boast only in Christ. Boast only in Christ. And now verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. The world's wisdom is deceptive. The world's wisdom is deceptive. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This is the problem the Pharisees had. They thought they knew it. They thought they had it together. And they were staring the Messiah in the face. They were challenged with what they thought they already knew. And they would not submit to Christ the King. And this is what happened. This is the danger there. If you think you're wise, if I think I'm wise, if I think I have it together, understand this. The world's wisdom is deceptive. No one deceive himself. If any among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might, may become wise. And this is not saying really let him be, be a fool, let him be dumb. This is the idea of let him be a fool thinking, going towards foolishness, going towards Christ. If we think we have it together, then we won't receive Christ. We won't follow Christ. But if we think we have a need for a Savior and we think we need Christ, that's when we can become a fool and follow him. Verse 19. God's wisdom is dominant. God's wisdom is dominant compared to the wisdom of the world. It's dominant. Look in verse 20. Verse 19. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. God's wisdom is better. So much better. The world's wisdom is deceptive. And it's a lie. And then last, God's kingdom is most desirable. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. This is in 21. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ's. Is God's. Christ is the king of the world. He's the creator of the world. In him, all things were created by him, for him, and through him. All things hold together by Christ. Christ owns it all. And the scripture says, because you are in Christ, you have all things. So stop saying, I am I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. Stop saying, I belong to this division. I belong to this. But instead, because you know that you belong to Christ, it all belongs to you. Don't be jealous of what somebody has that you don't have. Because in Christ, you have everything. 
In Christ, you have everything. And look at the list of that, not just Paul or Apollos or Cephas, but look at the list that's from that. Or the world. Don't say you have the world because in Christ, you have everything. Or life. Don't say I have life. Because in Christ, you have everything. Don't say in life, you have death or the present or the future. You're not worried about life or death or the present or the future or those things. Why? Because you're in Christ. Because you have everything. You are in Christ and Christ is God's. It's kind of like saying this. You know, I own the city of Pineville and I rent a really nice apartment across the street here. Why would you say that you rent a really nice apartment and be proud of that when you own all of Pineville? Why would you say, well, you know what? At one time, I was the mayor of this little town in South Mississippi somewhere. When you're now the president of the United States of America, you wouldn't brag about, well, I have this when you have everything in Christ. You are in Christ and Christ is in God. I want to lead us towards a closing now. The invitation is in two parts. First, it's an invitation to no longer walk in human terms. At the end of verse 4, it says this, When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You not being merely human. One of the things that has bothered me my entire life, and this is because this is in my heart and this is in me, and something that has bothered me for years and years is this excuse of, well, you know, that's just kind of how I am. You know, when somebody does this to me, I just, I just don't like this. Well, you know, I can't deal with this kind of a situation. Well, I can't, I can't forgive here. I can't accept this. I can't love this kind. I can't serve in this way. Well, you know, that's just, that's just not me. What I hear over and over, and it's almost like, you know, I'm just not a, I'm just not a people person. I just don't like people. Or I just don't, I just don't like serving. Or I just don't like this or that. Now, I'm, I'm sure there are reasons that it's okay to say that I'm not involved in this or I don't like this or that. But what I hear most of the time is jealousy and strife and selfishness, and people unwilling to serve the way that we have been served. I see people unwilling to forgive, and yet we have been forgiven much. We're unwilling to love little or forgive little compared to the forgive, great forgiveness, or the great love that we have received. And so this, are we not merely human when we do these things? But you see, if we are in Christ, we have everything. If we're in Christ, we're not a natural man anymore. We're a spiritual man. So the first invitation is not to walk according to human terms, but instead is to walk according to Christ. If you're a believer and you feel the Lord is calling you to, to growth, you feel the Lord is calling you to put away division, to put away selfishness, to grow in your faith, to, to brag on who Christ is and what He has done instead of our own accomplishments, that is the first invitation. And the second invitation is this. Hebrews 10:12. But when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. For some of us, the issue is not that we're just an immature Christian. The issue is this, is that Christ is not Lord and Savior of our life. The invitation is that we need 
a new birth. We need to be born again. Romans 10, starting in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is good news. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. And listen to this good news. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's bow our heads. The invitation is an invitation to what the world sees as foolishness. To what the world sees as folly. To follow a homeless man who is crucified on the cross like a criminal. Crucified by a city dump. Follow Christ who gave himself as a sacrifice for the guilty. For Christ who is perfect, Christ who is God, to give his life as a sacrifice for the ungodly. This is the wisdom of the cross. This is the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray that you would call people to yourself this morning. Father, I pray that you would call believers to growth in Christ. I pray.